With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul Annual Appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King Prawn Cocktail and Oak and Peat Cold Smoked Salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher abuse to next grocery shop of €50 or more. In the third season finale of This Is Monsters, I'm bringing you a double feature of kids who killed a parent in order to party with their friends with no rules. This is Monsters. Parasite is the act of killing one's own parents. Some people get this confused with patricide, which is specifically the killing of one's own father. There are a surprising amount of names for murder, depending on how the victim and the murderer are related. Matricide is the killing of one's own mother. Season 1 of this show was about filicide, which is the killing of one's own child, and includes feticide, the killing of a fetus, Neonaticide, the killing of a child during the first 24 hours of life, and infanticide, the killing of a child within the first year of its life. There's fratricide, the killing of one's own brother, and sororicide, the killing of one's own sister, mariticide, the killing of one's husband, and oxoricide, the killing of one's wife. There's even avunculicide, the killing of one's own uncle. Parasite can also refer to killing other parental figures, such as in-laws or adopted parents. It's sometimes used to refer to other close relatives, such as an aunt or an uncle. It can also refer to the killing of a ruler of a country who stands in a position to be seen as a parental figure. According to a study conducted at the University of California, Long Beach, parasite is one of the rarest types of homicide, accounting for 2% of all homicides in the United States. Perpetrators are typically white middle-class males without a prior history of convictions. Though parasite committed by daughters is rare, daughters are more likely to kill mothers and stepfathers. There are three types of parasite offenders. The severely abused child, the severely mentally ill child, and the dangerously antisocial child. 
the severely abused child will kill her parents to end long-term abuse. This is the most common cause of parricide for adolescent parent killers. This is the reason that Cody Posey gave after he murdered his father, Delbert, stepmother Tryone, and stepsister Marilea in their New Mexico ranch in 2004. The 14-year-old claimed that Delbert and Tryone would regularly abuse him. He claimed that his father had tried to force him to have sex with his stepmother two days before the killing, and at the trial, the defense presented websites featuring incest pornography that had been recovered from Delbert's personal computer. It was the only computer in the house with internet access, and the sites had been accessed at times when the kids would have been at school. Cody eventually shot Tryone, Delbert, and Marilea in the head, claiming he was trying to escape the abuse. He said that he believed that Marilea would turn on him after he killed the parents, and that's why he shot her too. He was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of his stepsister, second-degree murder in the death of his stepmother, and voluntary manslaughter in the death of his father. He was sentenced to a juvenile facility until he turned 21 years old. He was released on October 10, 2010. The severely mentally ill will obviously kill a parent due to mental illness. In a case that's eerily similar to the Brandon Martin case, Ronald Morgan was a promising baseball player who would end up killing his father with a baseball bat. He had a history of violence and had attempted to strangle his mother a few days prior to the killing. Ronald had a history of drug abuse and mental illness. He had been involuntarily committed to a psychiatric facility just days before the murder. When he was arrested, he told police that God had told him to kill his father. Ronald was eventually found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent to a state psychiatric hospital. The dangerously antisocial children are the cases where a child kills their own parents for selfish reasons. This seems to be the most common category as examples would be Joel Guy Jr., Christopher Porco, Grant Amato, Dellen Millard, and Donald Hartung. All these cases are included in this season of my podcast if you're interested in learning more. The first case we're going to cover today takes us to Maggie Valley, North Carolina. There, 50-year-old Michael Howell lived in an eight-bedroom cabin with his 17-year-old daughter, Crystal Howell. The Howell family had lived in Augusta, Georgia before Michael and Crystal's mother, Christina Rester, got divorced. The couple had married in 1990, and Crystal had an older sister named Sierra. Michael had graduated from the University of Georgia's Grady College of Journalism. He worked as a sports editor for the Columbia County News Times. Columbia County encompasses the area of Georgia just northwest of Augusta. Like many little kids, Crystal was known to be a bit of a troublemaker. It was initially shrugged off as childhood mischief, but as she reached her adolescence, she began getting in more serious trouble. She began stealing and committing vandalism. This behavior prompted Christina to seek out mental health treatment for her daughter. Crystal was initially put on medication, which seemed to help, but Michael didn't believe that changing Crystal with medication was the right thing to do. He likened it to putting a chemical pillow over her face to keep her quiet. One would think that that meant Michael wanted to get Crystal counseling as an alternative to medication, but when the doctor suggested that, he was against that as well. It turned out that Michael had been in counseling when he was a child and he had been bullied about it by other kids. He didn't want that to happen to his daughter, so he refused that option. In 2009, by the time Crystal had become 12 years old, the fighting over how her mental health should be treated caused Michael and Christina to get a divorce. It was at this time that Michael was told that the older daughter, Sierra, was not his biological daughter. She was the product of an affair that Michael had never known about. 
Michael was under the impression that nature and fresh air was what Crystal needed, and with an inheritance he received from his grandparents, he purchased a large, eight-bedroom home in rural Maggie Valley, North Carolina. The small town at the base of the Great Smoky Mountains is about three and a half hours north of Augusta. Michael retired from his job at the newspaper and attempted to help his daughter deal with her mental health issues. Not surprisingly, the change in scenery didn't change Crystal's behavior. Not only did her aversion to following the rules persist, her parents' divorce only sparked more bad behavior. She began using drugs and shoplifting. She would run away and be gone for weeks at a time. Michael continually tried to keep Crystal under control by setting stricter and stricter rules, but it never worked. On February 24, 2014, the father-daughter duo were at a local grocery store when Crystal was caught shoplifting. Michael spoke with the store manager and made his daughter apologize for the indiscretion, and the pair returned home. Once there, Michael laid down on the couch and took a nap, and Crystal took a shower. During that shower, she decided that it was time to free herself from her father's rules once and for all. She got out of the shower, got dressed, and retrieved a shotgun that Michael kept in the home. While he was sleeping on the couch, she shot him in the head at point-blank range, killing him instantly. Then, she managed to stuff her father's body into a plastic bin and dragged it out to a storage shed in the garden. She disposed of the couch and sold the shotgun to a friend's father for $20. There are little things in the stories I cover that get reported that always bug me. What adult purchases a gun from a teenager, no questions asked? It's a detail that's just added to the news article like it's a normal, everyday interaction. But I would have a number of questions. Did you ask her whose shotgun it was? Where she got it? Why she was selling it? Why only $20? Nope, she sold a shotgun to her friend's dad. Enough said. After she murdered her father, she told friends he was out of town for a couple of weeks, but a few days into his absence, she claimed to have gotten a phone call from her mother informing her that Michael had committed suicide. It was at that time that she and her friends, Summer Ramsey and Elijah Damon, decided that they would move into Michael's house so that Crystal didn't have to live there alone. Friends said that she seemed sad at first, but it didn't last long. She would eventually have a massive party and invite as many as 50 people over to the house. She bought meth for everyone at the party, all with Michael's money. She had a stripper pole installed in the kitchen. It was reported that in the month after killing Michael, Crystal spent $12,000 of his money. After the party, friends said Crystal sat in a chair and didn't move for two weeks. When she came out of her funk, she decided to go visit her mother, who still lived in Augusta. She told her friends that they could stay in the house, but they were not allowed to go into the garden shed. She said that it was a special place where she and her father used to hang out. Crystal had called her mother Christina on March 19th and said that Michael had released her from his custody. She told her mother that she wanted to move back to Augusta, but Christina said she needed proof that Michael had emancipated her. Crystal ignored her mother's request and packed her belongings into a rented U-Haul trailer and drove Michael's orange Land Rover to her mother's home on March 22nd. She only stayed long enough to take a shower and then told her mother that she was meeting a friend so they could look for a place to live. Back in Maggie Valley, Crystal had told her friends that they could sell a pinball machine that was in the downstairs area of the house. Summer, Elijah, and another friend, Anthony Talley, had managed to move the pinball machine up and out of the house, but when they failed to sell it, they decided against moving it all the way back downstairs. Instead, they broke the lock on the shed so they could store it in there. 
Summer said that you could smell decomposition as soon as they opened the door. She noticed a blue plastic bin in the corner of the shed, and when she opened it, she saw a male body folded up with an obvious gunshot wound to the head. The friends ran out of the shed and immediately notified the Haywood County Sheriff's Office. Anthony would later say in an interview, quote, I never want to see anything like that ever again in my life. It has ruined me, end quote. It evolved to the point where we were able to identify the, uh, the suspect, uh, Mrs. Crystal Brooke Howell, as, as the suspect. Authorities eventually tracked Crystal down to a motel in Augusta, where she denied having any involvement in the death of her father. Summer was initially afraid that Crystal was trying to frame her for the murder of Michael. Crystal being gone when the body was discovered, as well as the fact that it was Summer's father who purchased the shotgun, made it seem like it was planned out to make it look like these other teenagers had killed Michael in order to use his house. Fortunately for Crystal's friends, that wasn't the case. After being taken in for questioning, she admitted to shooting her father in a fit of rage for humiliating her at the grocery store. A detective wrote in the Warren Affidavit, quote, during the course of the interview, Crystal Howell stated that approximately one month ago, she shot her father, Michael Howell, in the head with a shotgun. She stated that sometime afterward, she threw the fired shotgun shell in the garbage, end quote. She told the investigators that the clothes she wore during the murder were still in the house. They were recovered by the crime scene investigators. She pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and concealing a death on October 10, 2016. At her sentencing hearing, the defense tried to claim that her mental illness made her snap, but the prosecution reminded the judge that she planned out the murder as revenge for making her apologize for shoplifting. District Attorney Ashley Welch also pointed out her motive, saying, quote, It's shocking that a young woman kills her father, but the fact that Howell then began spending her father's money using his house and driving his car, all after hiding his body and the evidence of her crime, that's the motive. She wanted to live on her terms at the expense of Michael Howell's life. It's very sad. End quote. She was sentenced to 25 years to life, plus five to seven years to be served consecutively. Our second story takes us back to a state that seems to be the setting of a lot of true crime stories. Florida. Blake and Mary Jo Hadley lived in a quiet neighborhood in Port St. Lucie, about an hour north of West Palm Beach. They had two sons. Ryan was born in 1987, and Tyler came along in 1993. Tyler was born premature at only 3 pounds 10 ounces and spent a month in an incubator. Blake was 54 years old and worked as a plant operator for Florida Power & Light. Mary Jo was 47 years old and had worked as an elementary school teacher at the Port St. Lucie School District. Port St. Lucie was known due to the New York Mets doing their spring training there. That and the fact that it became a haven for drug dealers to buy cheap property and use the houses to grow marijuana. It earned the town the nickname Pot St. Lucie. It's possible that the premature birth caused lasting problems because at the age of 10, Tyler was on various medications for a number of medical conditions. He was being treated for acne and depression as well as taking growth hormones. He began getting into trouble by age 12, vandalizing people's property and setting fires. He also started drinking around this age. He started doing drugs when he was 15, starting with pot, but moving on to Xanax, oxycodone, ecstasy, and a hallucinogen called DMT. His parents had put him in a substance abuse program prior to the murders. 
In April of 2011, Tyler got in a fight at a friend's house and was arrested. He was charged with aggravated battery and had to spend two weeks under house arrest. Mary Jo confiscated his phone while he was serving his time. In June of 2011, Tyler came home drunk and his parents took away his phone and his car. They also sent him to a mental health facility. When someone asked her if she was afraid her son would hurt her, she responded that she was afraid he would kill himself. Tyler eventually started feeling like his parents punished him too much and he began fantasizing about killing them. He was tired of getting in trouble and believed that removing his parents from that equation would make his life easier. You know, instead of just not doing the things that were getting him in trouble. He had told a psychologist after his arrest, quote, I was probably mad about getting in trouble and everything that was going on, end quote. He said that his murderous thoughts, quote, started a little bit, but increased in frequency, becoming an obsession that I couldn't get out of my mind. Pretty intense. I thought about it every day, end quote. He claimed that his plan was to kill his parents, then back their car into the garage and kill himself with carbon monoxide poisoning. Am I the only person that finds it fascinating how many people claim they were going to commit suicide after murdering someone who never seemed to get to the suicide part of their plan? I feel like these people have convinced themselves that they're going to commit suicide in order to make the murder part of the plan easier. Then they realize they don't really want to die. And how is murdering your parents going to make your life better if you're planning to kill yourself? Why not just kill yourself? I hate saying that. I obviously want people to get help if they feel like they're going to hurt themselves or someone else. That's why I have information about helplines at the end of every video. But if you're dead set on a murder-suicide plan and no amount of help can get you to change your mind, do everyone a favor and start with the suicide. Don't ruin more people's lives in the process. On July 16, 2011, Tyler decided to put his plan into action. His older brother, Ryan, had moved to North Carolina six weeks earlier to attend college, so it was just him and his parents. Prior to attacking his parents, he secretly took their cell phones and hid them so they wouldn't be able to call for help. He claimed that he took three ecstasy pills because he knew he wouldn't be able to kill his parents sober, but some people question this claim since the effects of ecstasy generally make you calmer and less aggressive. He had been on several other medications and suffered from mental illness, so it's impossible to know how those combinations affected him. After taking drugs, Tyler retrieved a framing hammer from the garage and approached Mary Jo from behind as she worked on the computer. According to Tyler, he stood behind her for five minutes, building up the nerve to murder his mother. With the claw end out, he struck her in the head. She cried out, quote, why, end quote. When Mary Jo began yelling, it alerted Blake, who came to investigate the commotion. Tyler said that he and his father locked eyes for a minute, and Blake asked, quote, why, end quote. Tyler responded, quote, why not, end quote, and turned the hammer on his father. He bludgeoned both of his parents to death. Then he dragged the bodies into the master bedroom in the back of the house and cleaned up the best he could, which wasn't great according to people who attended the party. People were using the computer to play music and said there was something brown and sticky all over the keyboard. One young man who lost the ball while playing beer pong retrieved it from under the table and said it was sitting in a pool of brown sticky liquid. He washed it off in the kitchen sink and continued with his game. Tyler locked the door to the master bedroom and moved on to the next part of his plan, to have an epic party. Tyler had told his friends earlier that week that he was going to have a party at his house, but none of his friends believed him. 
Due to his increasingly strict parents, there was no way they would let him have a party at their house. It was about 11.30 a.m. when one of his friends, Antonio Ramirez, sent him a Facebook message asking if the party was still on. He told him that his parents would be leaving soon. At 1.15 p.m., Tyler posted a message on Facebook that read, quote, Party at my crib tonight. Maybe. End quote. Nobody believed that the party would really happen, but at about 8.15 p.m., just a few hours after killing his parents, Tyler posted on Facebook, quote, Party at my house, HMU, end quote, which means hit me up. A friend named Ashley Hayes sent Tyler a message that said, quote, Whoa, what if your parents come home? End quote. Tyler replied, quote, They won't. Trust me. End quote. He told everyone that his parents went out of town and his house was available for everyone to come and have a good time. By 10 o'clock, teenagers from the quiet community were showing up in droves. Kids that didn't know or even like Tyler showed up because, well, there was nothing else to do. Port St. Lucie was sometimes referred to as Port St. Lousy by the local kids because there was literally nothing for them to do. Despite being a town near the Florida coast, there was no beach access. There were golf courses, retirement communities, and two bingo halls. Nothing especially exciting for teenagers. Tyler's best friend, Michael Mandel, said that there were teenagers all over the house, smoking and drinking, but most of them didn't even know Tyler. The post on Facebook got passed around to everyone in town and grew to have close to 100 people in attendance. Tyler didn't seem to care what happened inside the house. Pictures were knocked off the walls and beer bottles were broken on the floor. Tyler's biggest concern was keeping the noise down so the neighbors didn't call the cops. Tyler got especially angry when one kid ran into the house carrying a mailbox he had stolen from a neighbor's yard. Tyler said, quote, stealing a mailbox is a felony, end quote, and told them to get it out of the house. During the party, everyone wanted to know where Tyler's parents were. He told some people that his parents went to Orlando. He told others that they went to Georgia. He even told a couple of kids that his parents didn't live there and the house was his. It was at the party that Tyler told Michael that he had killed his parents. Michael didn't believe him at first, but Tyler insisted. He told him to look in the driveway and see that both of their cars were there. They couldn't be out of town. When Michael asked for proof, Tyler told him that the bodies were still in the master bedroom, but he needed to wait until the party died down before he could go in there. Michael wasn't about to wait. He went straight to the back of the house and opened the door to the master bedroom. When the door opened, Michael saw Blake's leg against the door and thought, quote, Oh my God, he's telling the truth. He did it. This is real. End quote. Michael said it took him a while to finally accept that his best friend had actually murdered his parents. He stayed at the party for a little while longer and even took a selfie with Tyler. He claimed that he knew it was going to be the last time he would see his best friend because he planned to turn him in, which he did. Michael left the party in the early morning hours of July 17th and called the local Crime Stoppers number to tell them that Tyler had killed his parents. Michael had told another teen at the party about what Tyler had told him, and he also called 911. I was at a party with uh, one of my buddies, and it was at his house. He said his parents went out of town. Uh, he, he said his parents went out of town, so he's throwing the party. And I'm at the party, and we're all hanging out. Everything's cool. He's acting fine. Did he say, like, specifically, like, did he hurt them? Or are they still alive? It's like, you know, like, uh, my understanding of it was that he 
killed him. The body is supposed to be at his house, apparently. That's my understanding of it. It's all got jumbled up. I mean, like, I'm, I'm really, like, scared, like, confused, you know? Like, I heard something about did something with a hammer, and, like, uh, there, like he tried to point out blood to me in the house. And I, I seen it, and it was wet, and I, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's blood 100%, but I think it's dead serious, and if they're, I don't think they're joking about it, that's all I'm saying. A third person, a young girl, had also heard about Tyler killing his parents and notified police as well. It turned out that Tyler had told a lot of people that he killed his parents. The only problem was that most of them didn't believe him. Fortunately, three people did and notified police. By the time the police were notified about the murders, the party was over. Police showed up at the Hadley residence at 4.32 on the morning of July 17th. They could see Tyler pacing back and forth in his house, but when they knocked on the door, he didn't answer. Michael said that Tyler had told him he planned to commit suicide by taking 10 Percocet pills when police arrived. It turned out that Michael had found the pills and hid them in a hall closet, so when the police continued knocking on the door, Tyler eventually answered. When the door opened, Tyler had his left hand behind his back, so one of the officers drew his weapon. He ordered Tyler to put his hands up and step outside. Tyler complied, and when the officer determined that he didn't have any weapons on him, he was cuffed. When the officers went into the house to search for Blake and Mary Jo, Tyler started shouting, quote, You can't go in there. Don't go in there. End quote. The officers entered the house and found a disaster. Beer cans and red Solo cups were all over the place. The floor in Tyler's bedroom was covered with unraveled cigars. All of the furniture in Ryan's room was turned over. They found a black Labrador retriever locked in a closet. The Hadleys had two dogs, and a partygoer said that she saw a beagle hiding in the shower during the party. Officers tried to open the door to the master bedroom, but it was locked. They were able to force the door open, and there they found the bodies of Blake and Mary Jo Hadley. Tyler was charged with two counts of first-degree murder. The news of the murder and the party that followed spread through the area like wildfire, making Tyler a bit of a celebrity. Inmates at the St. Lucie Jail nicknamed him Hambo due to his use of a hammer to kill his parents. He now signs that when he responds to fan letters. He's also signed autographs for other inmates by writing, Hammer Time. Don't worry, though. It's been reported that this disgusting waste of life has been jumped and beat up while in jail. Tyler pleaded not guilty, and his defense tried to argue that his mental illness caused him to murder his parents. The fact that he planned out the murders and attempted to hide the bodies proved that he knew what he was doing and knew that it was wrong. It's important to remember that someone can be found guilty of murder and suffer from mental illness. A person is only found not guilty if their mental illness made them not aware that what they were doing was wrong. Tyler knew exactly what he was doing. In 2014, Tyler Hadley was found guilty and sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Florida has the death penalty, but since Tyler was only 17 years old at the time of the murders, he was not eligible. It turned out that the Court of Appeals also agreed that a minor isn't supposed to be sentenced to life without parole, and in 2018, Tyler was resentenced to two life terms, but this time he would be eligible for parole. The terms are to be served concurrently, and he will be eligible for parole review after 25 years. But so far, Tyler has not been a model prisoner. He's been caught smoking pot, he's had several shivs confiscated, and he's refused to participate in disciplinary hearings. 
It's quite an ironic twist if you think about it. He murdered his parents because he was tired of being punished when he caused trouble, but now he's in prison, still getting in trouble, still getting punished, and still trying to rebel against that punishment. The only problem is now his refusal to cooperate will only keep him in prison longer. Which is great news for the rest of the world, so keep on rebelling, Tyler. You won't hear any complaints from me. These two stories were of 17-year-olds who decided that having rules were so detrimental to their lives that they needed to murder their parents. Did they both suffer from mental illness? Sure, but not to the point that they didn't know right from wrong. They knew exactly what they were doing, and they made efforts to not get caught. It was just complete selfish entitlement that led them to kill people who loved them unconditionally, and for that, they will have to learn to become adults within prison walls. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Let's have a look at today's lineup. There's a strong Dunn Stores influence from top to bottom, starting with selected boxes of bottled beer and cider like Heineken and Bulmers from just €18.72. Half-price Pringles are a very welcome inclusion indeed. 10 or 50 grocery vouchers doing their bit at the till as usual. All that's left to do now is enjoy the football. Dunn Stores, always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop of €50 Euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly.